This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Today, we are interviewing and talking to C. Sykes, a licensed clinical social worker and an IFS senior trainer in the U.S. and internationally. She has contributed to Levels 1 and 2 IFS training manuals and teaches Level 1 as well as Level 2 on trauma and addiction. CEASE has over 30 years of clinical experience working with individuals, couples, and families specializing in the work with the effects of trauma and addiction. Her chapter on compassionate approaches to the addictive process appears in IFS Innovations and Elaborations. Cease also has special interests in spiritual practices intersecting with therapy and on the impact of psychotherapy upon the life of the therapist. She lectures, consults, and leads workshops on all of these topics. Cease currently lives and works in the city of Chicago. Thank you, Cease, for having us and for being willing to be part of this series of talks on internal family systems. Mm, thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Sis. How is it for you to listen to this bio? <laughs> That's a great question. How many parts? <laughs> um, yeah, what parts come up? Right, good question. Um, uh, I think a part of me feels proud, actually, of, of, of the work I've done. Part of me feels old. So my first client in 1978. So um, it's more like experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I think um, I think everything that I've I've been done has been. I, I like to a- approach things. You know, I'm always learning. I guess I would say. So still, I'm learning when I'm teaching. I'm something new will probably come to me in our conversation today. You know how it is. So I also think that uh, this is an accumulation of being exposed to so many people who I've learned from my clients, but also all the therapists I've worked with over the years and all the teaching situations are, it's a, it's a challenge. And so um, I think everything I have essentially is also in a way given to me. So you enjoy the journey very much, I see. Yes. So Sis, could you please tell us a bit about your journey into the mental health profession? Um, was there something in your personal life that was determinant for you becoming a psychotherapist? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I majored in um, uh, social work uh, at 18. I chose, chose that as my major for college when I was in high school. Um, the social, it was in the early seventies. There was a lot going on late sixties, early seventies in the United States and in Europe too, I think around student demonstrations, the war, those kinds of things. And the social workers at my school were very community involved, very, um, what we would call progressive. One was white, one was black. They're two women. They were good friends. I thought, I, I just liked the whole picture of that. I didn't have words for it. I just liked the idea of this sort of progressive thinking. And um, trying to make change in the world, I think, was how I was thinking about it. Um, and I also liked, uh, just even when I talked to my high school counselor about, you know, I don't know, my classes or something, I thought, oh, I like this idea of talking to people. So that I, I, would, I, so I majored in it and stayed in it my whole life. Uh, so, um, you know, my family, if you want to go family systems, I'm the oldest of yep. six kids. and depressed mom, overwhelmed mom, overwhelmed parents. I was very much a parentified child. So that role of making myself available was, was always in my life. And so it was very consistent with being a therapist. <laughs> it was a good training. It always felt like a good fit. Yeah, it was. There was no stretch. You were a therapist when you were four. I go, yeah, I was. I remember. I remember, yes. <laughs> This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. I'm curious about um, your work before you met IFS. Right. What was what was that part of your, your clinical work? Right. I actually was a therapist for 20 years before right. I did the IFS training, and now it's 20 years since. Right, um, so that 20 years. 
uh, what I started doing um, was uh, very early on, I worked in community mental health. Um, you know, they kind of throw young people in, to, but I worked with adolescents and their families in a community mental health center. Um, but right away, I heard someone speak on family systems and the idea of generational issues and boundaries and the, how the individual is very impacted by the context of their family. And that made a huge impact on me. So I then uh, spe specifically got trained in family therapy and family systems thinking. And in specific, I was drawn to um, uh, a couple women that I'd heard speak about working with physical and sexual abuse cases and were trained in family therapy. It was just very meaningful to me to think about how um, even the systemic issues of how abuse happens in families. So I ended up taking a job um, at a, it was a private organization, but they worked with the Department of Children and Family Services, which is the protective services arm of the government. Um, and that's the way it works in all the states in the U.S. And so I was doing therapy with families where the parents have been physically or sexually abusive to their children or stepchildren or the children in their care or who had lost their children through neglect. And we were very you know, progressive in the sense that I would go do home visits in rough neighborhoods and try to do therapy in their homes and they would come into the offices. And they were very, very intense cases. Um, <clears throat> but um, I really appreciated it and loved it. Most parents, their parents are very impacted, of course, by the context of their lives, by poverty, by addiction, by no support of, from their own parents. They grew up traumatized, really. So um, I just learned how traumatized these parents were, and now the trauma was going on into the next generation. So as a family therapist, how we could uh, work with this family to <clears throat> create safety, you know, to create something that they never had. You know, how do you create that when you don't know it? So I really loved uh, family therapy and systems thinking because it's resilience-based. It's based on finding the strength of that parent, finding each of their strengths, and helping a mother and a father, you know, uh, now families have a broader definition, but of helping the two parents uh, work together for the benefit of the child. They have learned such terrible and abusive patterns, emotionally abusive patterns, much less what they, you know, much less the physical abuse musician. So uh, always very poignant stories. It's never, it's never, things are never what they seem. You know, there's always a story for the, the parent. Um, it was very touching work. And, you know, getting kids reunited with families or recreating safety in a home is a really satisfying thing. Um, and at the same time, while I'm working with uh, adult survivors and we're running groups for women who are adult survivors, I was working with um, young men, uh, some boys who were abused by their scout leader. And then we did a family. We brought all the parents in for a family group with them because all, all the parents have been impacted by their boys experiencing this. Um, so it was very, very interesting and impactful work. And, and at the same time, I would say looking back that some of the individual intrapsychic dynamics of some of the survivors, that wasn't the big focus of family therapists. You know, we were trying to change the contracts and create a safe environment, which that, you know, which we were often able to do. Um, and that doesn't mean, of course, creating safety and having healthy dialogues and meaningful dialogues and healing dialogues between parents and children is healing. Um, but and there's more around uh, some of those individual dynamics that I would include now. Having said that, the bringing whole families in together, doing family meetings, bringing multifamilies together over a larger event, these are hugely healing things also. So that it's all healing, I guess. Um, but I learned, I think, how to be a therapist uh, from survivors of sexual abuse who are very vigilant in making sure they're taken care of. And, not, and never, they have that never again part we talk about in IFS, uh -huh. so never again managers. And I can still remember a woman coming in and I was about 15 minutes late to take her in. She was waiting in the waiting area and I brought her into my office and, you know, because a lot of my cases had kind of crisis sessions. Anyway, I brought her in late. And she was livid. She was so enraged with me. And she talked about how she had left work early and it was very hard for her. And she'd gotten traffic and she was on time. And here I am seeing her 15 minutes late. And I could see that the, in IFS, IFS we call it the exile behind that angry mm -hmm. fire. Mm -hmm. 
that felt not cared about and not appreciated for what she had done. So, you know, even though I didn't know the model at that time, I, you know, she taught me, I need to speak to what she is feeling on the inside, which is not cared about and not important. Um, And um, so I really just, the impact of my behavior and how it impacted the belief of her exile about being not important or being taken advantage of, both of which had happened to her in her life many, many times over. So I really learned how to be a therapist and listen to what we would call an IFS, the exiles and the belief of the exiles. And I think that survivors who are so vigilant teach me that, you know, they teach me that they see my parts. And if I'm in a park, they're going to tell me, are you angry with me? You sound angry. I'm like, am I angry? You know, I have to think that. Am I angry? Do I I sound angry? Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. Oh, you know, so I think that that relational piece, it's so important when you're healing uh, from from abuses. It was so much of that was taught to me by uh, people who are um, vigilant about being safe. It looks like um, IFS comes in a very natural way to you when it came. So. You know, because even back in the in those times, we talked about the inner child mm-hmm. and that was sort of, um, and a lot of addictions work and, um, you know, work, a lot of family therapy work, we talked about the roles in the family and um, and also just the inner child inside each person. So we see that in a more complex way now, but I think the psychological field in general uh, was still making space for uh, the inner experience uh, as being somewhat unique and special and needing special attention. And that it is possible to give special attention uh, to those um, traumatized parts. Yes, but I see that um, in the family system trainings, there was a huge focus on the external context and you could already bring it to the inner world in a way so you did a an an interesting uh, bridge between the out world and the inner world in your journey as a therapist i didn't think about it that way annabelle but that's very well put i think that's right i've had the opportunity to have this big picture context and to be taught in that way and that's systemic thinking is very much part of how i still think but at the same time, I had the opportunity, and I did work, of course, one-on-one with individuals, men and women who had been traumatized, and had the opportunity to hear their inner experience of that. Mm-hmm. And also to hear how their ambivalence towards, their, uh, towards the offender, their father, stepfather, priest, whatever, the parts of them, to hear that you don't, it's, there's not a unified feeling of rage. It's rage, but also hurt. Um, but also sometimes love. So, you know, parts works because, you know, I I could see the complexity of those feelings. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. If I may, sis, you really didn't get uh, formal training in IFS. You just, uh, you you were already doing some work, as you just explained so well, doing some inner work, natural and intuitive inner work. And you didn't get really a formal training in IFS or once you, how did you? I did. Then I did training. So in the meantime, though, aside from that, you know, and I've told this story maybe before I tell the trainings. Dick Schwartz is also from Chicago originally. He lives in Boston now. Lucky you. Yeah, but he's born and raised here. So I knew him in the family therapy field because his doctorate, his PhD is in family systems and family therapy. So we knew each other in that community. And um, he taught uh, and was on staff at the Institute for Juvenile Research and then at the Family Institute. And so I would present at the Family Institute or at IJR and run into him. Um, and so one day we all said in the early eighties, we heard Dick has a new idea. (laughs) So, okay. So we got in our car and we drove downtown to see Dick and hear his new idea. It wasn't, it wasn't a small idea at all. It wasn't. What did we know? You know, but from nine to 12 for three hours, he got in front of a group of like 25 people and he had a chalkboard and he drew a pie chart, you know, and he put different segments for his parts. And he started talking about the inner world as parts. 
and parts of the personality. And he didn't have the whole segment. He didn't even have self at that time. You know, I mean, it was this time, but he talked about parts and working with parts, but he also began to say this idea that developed ideas about what self was evolved, but he had this idea that people would say things like he was working with a woman I worked with on eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And these bulimics would have these extreme things. And so we'd start just saying, well, why don't you have, have this part of you talk to that part of you? And so, but at the time, um, I thought, well, is this good or not? You know, I was very steeped in family therapy. I was very steeped in working with survivors. Uh, so I was. And maybe attached to those bottles. Yeah, also. I was very attached. Exactly. Uh, so I stay, it, it intrigued me, but I didn't pursue it. And there was no training then. This was the early 80s. He didn't write his book until 94, 95. It was published. Oh, he was, I'm sure he was writing it forever, but it was published in the mid nineties and he started doing trainings in 95, 96. So this is oh, 12, 14 years after his first presentation of this model. So he, it had a long gestation. And, yes. um, and then the thir- third training in Chicago, which was in 1998, I did take. So then I took the IFS training at that time. But before that, you had some contact with Dick and you, you were in the group, you were somehow discussing. No, I, no, I, I no, didn't want yes. to do that because I wasn't that interested. So he continued with consultations. I heard it and I would hear him there, here and there. You but were I, just being loyal to your... Yes, but I, I also didn't like it exactly because there was a woman on my staff who did go to his consult groups and she would come to staff meetings and she'd say... Well, a part of me feels like this. And then another part of me feels we should do that. And I think, oh, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> How do you order pizza? I mean, what do you... <laughs> even even parts of language can be abused. But you did some beautiful work with an offender, a father who was sexually abusive to a child. And she, she also presented those cases. And we were also listening to her cases at staff. So I had my parts. My parts of didn't weren't attracted to this model uh, and my parts that were very intrigued uh, by how she was working with her client. So there was both I had, but I did not pursue anything more. I just, I followed it though. I read him in the networker. I'd see what was going on, uh, but I didn't see, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I went to see him give a presentation about yeah. IFS. Yeah. And that's when I thought, Oh, now I, now I'm into it. And finally you got the training, right? Mm-hmm. In the 90s? Yeah, 98. Mm-hmm. And how was it? It was um, a stepping stone. This was the... You also have a before and an after IFS. Right. So after, you know, <clears throat> I really loved it. And I've stayed interested in firefighter behavior, which in a way I was because I was working with families where... In trauma, because I was working with families where there was heavy duty firefighter behavior on the part of the parents who would say abusive behavior and where survivors who have very strong, extreme, sometimes managers and firefighters as well, you know, protecting their traumatized exiles. So the way the model looked at firefighter behavior was always interesting to me mm-hmm. and uh, finding the compassion and the positive intention and negative behavior. So that stood out to me uh, right away. I think because of my work and, um, you know, I, I say this at different trainings. Um, at the time you were working with families mainly, not with addictions or also with addictions? No. Well, then I was working with, um, I, somewhere after that, I, I did community mental health for a while. Then I took actually a little break for a couple of years when my children were little. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of burnt out, really. And thought I was going to take a break for a summer, but I took a break for a couple of years and it was good. My kids were little and I was, I liked being at home with them. They needed you. Um, but I was also resting in a way and trying to reset my, reset some things. I think I did some personal work at that time. You know, my own family has very, my family, my extended family, my family tree is filled with uh, physical also has physical abuse, sexual abuse, addictions, eating disorders, suicide, gambling. It's all in my family tree. You name it. Right. And it affected the family I married into. So I had to reset myself and find out who am I in that whole, what are my parts? Um, my parts are, I have very my huge caretaking parts. Um, so I had to learn about that. Was IFS a part of that reflective process? That happened before I took the training. 
Uh-huh. Oh, wonderful. When I took the training, I remember telling Dick, I've worked on a lot of my stuff already, but I had. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen in this training, you know, um, <clears throat> but I, I think IFS helps us define and get to the nuances of our own parts beautifully, which it did for me too. Um, but it also helps us have a model to uh, reach people who have done very terrible things or have experienced very terrible things or both. And I think it's a great way to reach people. So you are saying that IFS really and the training you took improved and changed your clinical work in many, many ways. In many ways. And your personal, and, and also your personal. Sure. My personal journey was, was better. I could work more with my own parts in a different way. It offers another way for people, very extreme situations to be healed. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. I'm curious about what it was like to take that time to reflect on all the extreme trauma and work that you had done in the, in the years before. Um, it's great. It was good to take the time. Yeah. As I said at the time, the only family in my head right now is my own. Right. And uh, that was good. My own family was quite complex, and I really appreciated uh, spending that time and doing therapy and going to groups and just really diving in. Um, when you say my own, you say your own, your, your kids, or you say your inner family? Uh, I would say the family, I, my family of origin, my parents, my extended family, um, understanding my relationship with my parents better, understanding my relationship with my husband better. Uh, my children were in preschool. You know, they, it was not a complex relationship there. You know, challenging, of yeah. course. Mm -hmm. complex. Yes. But I was looking at my role of caretaking, basically anyone who crossed my path. Anyone I loved, I was trying to take care of. And, um, and many of the, and so to understand how to love people and not take care of them, uh, is a beautiful journey. And I think IFS also helps with that. Can you speak to that journey a little bit more? Um, say more about what you'd like to hear. Well, I, I, I feel like a lot of us have those strong caretaker parts yeah. and, and they get, they get really heralded as uh, having a lot of space and that being okay. Yeah. So, so I guess I'm, I'm curious how, how you began to work with the caretaker to maybe see it in a new light or to shift its role within you. Well, you're speaking actually to that other interest of mine, which is the, the heart, I call it the heart lessons of the journey, which is, when you've chosen to be a therapist and beginning to do your own work and what we find about our role and what leads us to this and some of those parts. So I think there's an enormous uh, well, deep well of, I've done some retreats now, uh, some three-day retreats just for therapists to work on our story and our role as healers. Uh, uh, the <clears throat> in addictions, they call it wounded healers. Mm -hmm acknowledgement that it's it's from woundedness that some of that healing ability comes so it's there's a lot that i could say about that um but what i would just say is that um i i was facing a crisis that feeling burnt out was because i was overwhelmed because i had the crisis of exhaustion was to, was my teacher to teach me that i was taking care of in an emotional sense, not a physical sense, but in an emotional sense, I felt responsible for the feelings of my mother, of my father, of my husband, specifically, and that I was in a role where I felt responsible for that. So that's what cared, the essence of caretaking is not, there's a lot, I mean, I could talk for, I could do a workshop on it for days, but the essence of a to, for a therapist, and IFS, I think, helps us with this. From self, I know the other person has a self, and I'm not responsible for their inner or outer world, but I am responsible for my world and what I bring to that person. 
So if I'm trying to, if I'm responsible for their inner world, then they won't be doing their own work. I'm doing it for them. So, <clears throat> which of course is a very limited ability. So that essence of that, those boundaries, um, I think are relate to family systems. And I'm informed by family systems around those boundaries. And I'm informed by IFS around those boundaries. And I'm informed by the uh, healing teachings, uh, the, the teachings of the addictions world, which talks so much about whose problem is it when someone's addicted is so much hooks in others to help. So I have spent a lot of years looking at um, how to be helpful and healing without being hooked. So all of those things take time. And does that sort of address what you're asking? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm really honored that you took the time to, to share that and to share your passion and to share how it, how it plays into your work with addiction as well. Right. It's all of a, it's all of a piece, really. So yeah. since our, our wounds help us to heal, but in a way we need to heal our wounds to heal, it's a little bit tricky. <laughs> It is. When are we done? It's also <laughs> our wounds that uh, prevent us from helping sometimes. That's correct. So what we would say is that not that we have to be perfect, but if we want to use the IFS model, we would say that we were, that our goal is to be accountable. So that if in fact, and again, I feel like survivors of trauma made me accountable when I was a young, a younger therapist, you know, because they'd be like, I, you know, they would track my system so closely. And I think IFS gives us the opportunity to be a kind of say, oh, I, you're right. I had a judgmental piece come up. Oh, you're right. I got distracted there. And I didn't hear the first part of what you're saying. I had a part that took me away a little bit. So I think IFS gives us this really sort of safe way to talk about the fact that I'm still here for you. And I had a part that took us away. So I don't feel that our role is to be uh, perfect, of course, but it is to be accountable for the parts that come up. And I do think um, it's our role to stay actively involved in our own healing process, um, which for most of us means going to therapy or, you know, getting, having clinic, having healing, um, a, a network around us uh, and a place of, of accountability around us, you know, where we take our cases and, you know, are held both personally and professionally accountable, if you will. Yes, Not well in trouble, but to be able, because we, to help us see, right? Wonderful. You gave the example of using your exhaustion as a, as a great teacher. And yeah. so not having the space to do that, you're just exhausted. That's right. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. So since you became a lead trainer for IFS, right. I see that you, you, you are still doing your clinical work. You, you still enjoy doing your clinical work. I do. Um, and uh, how is it for you to, how was it for you to become a lead trainer? And how, how, how do you enjoy to be a lead trainer now? You know, um, I want to honor my first opportunity to be a lead trainer was, uh, for a training in Mississippi, which is here in the States, it's in the South. Um, it is um, a very warm, hospitable culture. The particular group, everyone in that group was evangelical Christian, and, but were attracted to the spirituality of the model or, or the organizers were, and they wanted to bring it to their evangelical community. And I was very challenged by that because that's not my spiritual practice. And I was totally afraid I would offend them and say the wrong thing. And, you know, how, how can I do all this? And I want to honor Karen Blachey because uh, at the time, Dick asked me to go and teach down there. And I didn't really exactly feel ready. I had only assisted a couple times. Um, so I said, what if we do a co-lead? So Karen Blachey and I went and did this together. And she was the one who had taught the particular coordinator. She's from Asheville, North Carolina. And we did this together. And one of the things that she taught me was that we need to get seated uh, when we have responsibility for a group or our leadership. And she taught me that phrasing because I can remember the first time 
I'm sitting in a chair and the room is out in front of me and I'm in my chair at the front of the room and Karen's next to me and I'm like, holy freaking shit. I have to talk for the next three days and these people, and, and they're going to listen. Do I have anything to say? <laughs> and, it, and it was only three days at the time. <laughs> six days now. Yeah, well, if there was, what was it? Three that we did six, three day weekends. Okay. Yes. Be there for three Different, days. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got it. So this idea of getting, do, can I teach the model well? Can I teach it, share these ideas well? I mean, um, doing an experiential exercise at the right time of day. Um, I had, uh, you know, these are challenging questions, but um, <clears throat> I was guided also by Karen, because we were co-leading, she was very specific with me. Well, if you say this part, then I want to say this part so that we would share responsibility, but we would also share using our voice and so that neither of us would feel um, not seen. Mm-hmm. So she did a beautiful job of helping us be with our exiles around that. So I learned a lot uh, teaching with her. Helping um, each other, yes. Mm-hmm. Helping each other and then processing at the end of the day. And so the other part about being a trainer is at the end of the day, you have a staff meeting. And what you do in staff meeting is you process your parts. And the lead trainer, uh, when you have a co-lead, you might not process all of your parts with the whole staff. You know, you're more hearing the staff's parts. But also the co-leads can process their parts together. And that's another valuable aspect of learning how to train is learning what comes up when you're challenged, when someone asks you a question, when someone disagrees with you when someone uh, feels hurt or angry in the training and learning how to basically just uh, speak for your parts and hold on to your seat, hold on to yourself, energy and your perspective. So it can be more difficult if you don't co-lead as you don't now, you don't co-lead, you just lead. And well, and now, uh, well, let's just say now I'm less triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Good to you. And good to the trainers. (laughs) Um, you know, and I might, you know, if I had something, a lot going on uh, for me, um, I would talk to an AT or I'm, I'm, I'd take some time in staff or I'd choose someone to speak to about it so I could speak for my parts so I could unblend. I, I don't get particularly, you know, overly triggered anymore. I've been doing it a long time. But um, I think part of the learning of trainings is um, – I'm there to facilitate their learning. I can't make people learn. I'm there to provide a safe container so they can learn. And uh, and I'm there to help the staff provide a safe container. So it's quite a different view, a perspective or approach to the training as as it was before you somehow uh, you, you are thinking you, you were to teach them and then you yes. figure out you have just to hold their yes. look. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously I have to teach, but yes. Yes. My role, I had to get clear on really what my role is. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. I have a, a bit of a two-part question about trainings. Um, firstly, uh, what do you love about training? Mm-hmm. What, what what do you enjoy? Well, if I'm perfectly honest, one of the things I love about training is that I love to be in charge. <laughs> I'm still <the> first born. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say yeah. the brakes. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to say what? The brakes. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, no. I love well, That's I, not a part, right? That's, <laughs> that is pure self. <laughs> But I, I love, I mean, there's a lot of decisions to make and uh, about how to respond to a particular issue, how to respond to parts. There's lots of decisions that we make, not just curriculum decisions. And I enjoy the process. I guess I enjoy, I used to say I don't like groups, but I spend massive amounts of my time in groups, right. trainings, small, the smaller group of the staff and the larger group of the group. So um i think um i like the challenge to me of of making good decisions uh and i enjoy it um now i also really enjoy uh i just really believe in the model as a form of healing and uh i have no 
I'm, I have no ambivalence about IFS as the best way I know to help therapists help others. And I think it has been put to the test because in particular, not just around, for me, people say, well, it's good with trauma. It is. I'm not against that at all. I would never minimize its benefit for trauma. But the angle I like to go to is in addition to trauma, it's its benefit for <clears throat> people who have done bad things. They've lived a messed up life. They've been addicts for a long time. They were abusive. They have abusive parts. Um, they've fallen apart. Uh, they've hurt people. They've hurt themselves. No I think worries. the model offers so much healing uh, for them. I, I love that. I, I'm unambivalent about this model as a way to offer healing. And so you, you enjoy every minute in the trainings. Yeah, and I enjoy giving. You know, I, I enjoy spreading the word. You know, and I enjoy people getting it. And I enjoy truly, and this is truly true, not just that leadership piece, but I like uh, thinking of new ways to express these ideas that they can be heard. And that's always a challenge because every group has a different sort of they, a personality, if you will, and they ask different kinds of questions. And so it's always, it keeps me on my toes as to how best to express these ideas to others. Uh, part two of, of my question, what, what do you find the most challenging about trainings or what, what maybe is triggering or? About the demos? You know, demos sometimes, the demos are okay. I mean, there really is a lot of group energy. I was challenged when I first started doing them, of course. And um, I can still get challenged, you know, because... You know, there is that sense of wanting the session to teach the group, but yet wanting the person to have their own experience and let that particular session go where they want to go. So that can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. Um, to get a real, real good demo, yeah. That, that yeah, <clears throat> and to get it just right. Um, Dick has a tendency to always do a complete piece of work from beginning yes. to unburdening. The whole process, the whole steps. He's very... Uh, focused in that way. Um, and he should be, he wants to show the power of his model and he should. I'm glad he does. Um, I, but I think in a training scenario, I want people to see all aspects of therapy and all the different aspects of therapy that occur in their weekly office. And that's not just an unburdening. So for me, every demo is useful because it's, it represents a different part of the therapeutic process. Uh, so sometimes they're not as dramatic as a full piece of work, but they're representative of what it's like to sit week after week with your client as their story unfolds. So I like both. I mean, I like to be able to do a, a burdening in a demo as well. So finding that sweet spot in between all that, I think is challenging sometimes. Um, <clears throat> and I also think just sometimes, you know, a training will really hit people in a very vulnerable place. So sometimes we have a very vulnerable participant. We have a very, we, or we might have very vulnerable staff person. And just having enough time and emotional space to hold all that, to give the time to the staff person that they need for their part and, to, for, and for their healing and for their unblending and to have this time and space for, for uh, the participants that need that as well. I find that sometimes it's challenging. There's a lot that's needed. Um, Yes, and there are large groups too. Yes, it's a lot. Yes. Right. And a lot comes up with that invitation to be with our parts. That's right. We invite it and then we and then we have to deal with it. Right. Exactly. What? <laughs> Perfectly good. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers authors, practitioners, and users. Uh, is there any, any way that you would like to see the trainings develop or change in the future? There is any evolution that you'd like to see? Hmm. Because they are already so rich and so good. In many ways, as you they mentioned. really are, uh, they really are wonderful, and there's not a lot about the training that would, that would change. I suppose some of the things that cross my mind as a trainer 
is <clears throat> I still sort of, uh, uh, I, I'm a little conservative in a certain way. Like I would love to have trainings that just have licensed clinicians in them. You know, we, we, we've always opened the model to practitioners, to body workers, to organizational development. We've always opened it to everything. And there's always everything. And sometimes, I think because of my focus on being a clinician, um, I, I would want, I, sometimes I'm frustrated when people who are coaches, not to, now I don't yes. want to say negative about Without coaching. Clinical training, it's yes. A different, it's a different task it is. than psychotherapy. And there are different pieces to it than psychotherapy. And there's okay. different tests to body work than psychotherapy. And I, I would love the freedom to just be talking to psychotherapists sometimes. because mm -hmm. I, And I would love those people for their needs to be met. And I respect their work. Uh, it's, it's different work, though. And sometimes the differences are strike me as stark. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes not. But sometimes those differences seem stark. And... Mm -hmm. You'd like to work with more homogeneous groups. Right. If I could choose that, I would. I really would. I would love that. And it's not as a, I welcome everyone and we all do, but I think, uh, I think to speak to practitioners and psychotherapists working with trauma and people coaching or doing body work, I think that they're engaged in different activities. Absolutely. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yes. That's something that comes up for me. But I think we are very top heavy. We have a lot of staff and that is evolved. We didn't used to have as many staff when I started. We'd have six or seven staff for 30 people. And now we have 10 or 11 staff for 30 or 33 people. We have a staff for every small group. And that has evolved over time. And I, initially I thought, is that really necessary? Because a PA would go in during a practice session. They'd spend 45 minutes with one group and then 45 minutes with another. They would split their time. And we did that a lot in the beginning. And now it's more one staff person for every practice group. And I think that's been a good evolution. Uh, yeah, it's very top heavy. It means a lot of staff. It is complex. And organization. Mm -hmm. so organizationally, a lot. <clears throat> But I think it's very good for the training. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the IFS and the organization for sticking to that. How has it been for you, um, To watch IFS grow and develop in the way it has. There's trainings in countries all over the world now. There's trainings in the U.S. are full and there's wait lists and the model's really growing. What's, what's that like for you and how has it been? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's mind-blowing, you know? I mean, it started out pretty small. You know, I mean, although Dick always had a, a he, he was very well known in the family systems and the family therapy community, very well known and respected at the time. He had been a family therapist, presented at national conferences, written a number of very well read books on family the therapy. That great man, yes. Brought that to the organization. So he was well known. But this having the model well known, and uh, it's just been an amazing thing, really. It has just um, exploded. And it is exciting because again, I am unambivalent about this as a way to approach healing. So I think it's fantastic. And I feel very grateful and very, very lucky to be along for the ride because I, I was in at the ground floor very early on. And so I have had amazing opportunities along this ride, uh, to, to know the two of you, you know, to have gone to Portugal, to have gone to all these places and meet so many beautiful people in, in the States and out of the States. And um, I, I can't even, it has been a, uh, a, a very expansive um, community to be a part of. And I feel very, very grateful. It's beautiful. It's really, really a uh, privilege for you to be present since the birth of the model and then see the, all the growing. Right. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. So, um, somehow you have a lot of work, clinical work on addictions and and eating disorders. 
and how, how did you get interested? You, you said already something about this. How did you get interested in addictions and eating disorders? And uh, if this is the major work that you, you do a lot, you see a lot of addictions or you just stop doing this kind of work? Well, <clears throat> well let's see. I would say it's probably more so not as much eating. I, I have done a lot of work with um, addiction, uh, with eating disorders. And um, just I would say just the overall category of trauma, I would see just a, for me, what I have, if you want to say I've specialized in something, I'm specializing in sort of intense parts. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> whether those parts are addicted or abusive or traumatized. Um, and, uh, and I know that I'm attracted to that because of my family life, the family, not my personal journey in myself, but the people I have loved have been very trauma survivors and, um, uh, and addictions has very much impacted my, my life. And, uh, so I, I come at this, I think from a personal journey of how do I, what happens to me around people with self-destructive parts mm-hmm. and uh, what do I, <clears throat> what do I do? How does that impact me? And as a healer, as a, a partner or as a family member and as a person in the healing profession, what do I do about that? And that question interests me greatly. And <clears throat> that's still my, my most powerful uh, draw. So my, most of my clients are in some kind of recovery from, addictions and that and I include all compulsive behaviors as addictions not just substances so it could be eating disorders it could be cutting it could be a bad you know re, you know destructive sexual relationships it could be um uh, I've worked with gambling you know so any kind of sort of extreme or self-destructive sort of most of my clients are recovering from that and or trauma as well so uh I don't <clears throat> I would say as, as, I, as I'm older in my career, uh, I don't take people at the initial points of recovery. So early in their recovery, mm-hmm. which I did when I was younger, people are a little bit further in their recovery when they get to me because I actually don't, I'm not, a, I'm not around to give that kind of once a week, twice a week session that you need earlier in recovery. Mm-hmm. So I need people in mid or later periods of recovery to work with now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still working with those uh, very, uh, to me, those are the issues that are of interest to me um, and how they themselves also, because anyone from a traumatized family has other trauma people and addicted addicts in their family. So how can they be in their families in healthy ways as well? So, and how can they operate in the world in a healthy way? So I'm just attracted to working with those issues, I think. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. That brings up such a such a, uh, a sort of juicy question: like, how can people be in their families, in their challenging family dynamics, in a way that's healthy and you know, do you have any insight or answers? I know it's a it's an individual system. It's a it's a personal parts right. experience. But but uh, any any wisdom around that? You know how to how to be in self with family when there's so many triggers. I guess. It's, it's well, I think first just owning how triggered we might be. Mm. You know, like for me to own my exhaustion. And to not keep keep functioning when actually I wasn't functioning well at all anymore. I mean, I didn't want to, you know, to really own our exhaustion or own our pain. And and then I would say to make it a priority. And and the priority is, you know, it's not like to really say, I'm going to do this work on me and my role or my parts to come up around this person or that person. Um, this is my priority, and it's my priority because I need to heal, because I don't want to carry resentments, because <clears throat> I don't want to be distanced, uh, because I need to find a healthy way to be with a crazy person or a not well person, so that I'm not, uh, I'm not riding, I'm not, I'm not riding their merry go round. 
So <clears throat> I think making it a priority and also acknowledging to ourselves how impacted we are. Many of us as therapists, we minimize emotion in order we have to have our parts step back. We're trained to do that as clinicians. Not to say we don't feel, but we can't get dysregulated. You know, the joke, how do you regulate a therapist? <laughs> Put a client in front, in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> Love that one. <laughs> right. So we regulate around other people's dysfunction. But when we're in a, in a relationship that requires mutuality, which is intimacy, with his family, partnerships, uh, our, our, grown, our children and adult children, where there's mutuality, which is not what a clinical relationship is, uh, then our different parts come up. And so to say this is important to me, to say I'm not doing well, to say I'm hurting, to say I'm in pain, to say I have exhaustion and I'm in pain. I think that's really the first place to go. And I think clinicians sometimes have a uniquely difficult time saying how hard some things are for us because we do many hard things so easily. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Many people can be led mainly by firefighters and others mainly led by managers. And I believe you have a good radar for those systems. Right. Uh, and those systems require different approaches and strategies from, from you as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Can you say something around this? Because it's really quite different to be in a room with someone uh, firefighters-led and someone managers-led. And um, what, would you, what would be your advice towards... Um, young practitioners like me. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite on a ball. But no, it's such a great, you know, it's such a great uh, question. And I felt it when I went into private practice. Because when I did community mental health or was working with these, these really intense families, everything is right there, right in front of your face. You don't have to go mm -hmm. searching. The dysfunction is sitting there. But when you're yeah. sitting in a practice in a, a much more managed situation, mm -hmm. I would sometimes sit in private practice and be like, how do I break through this? Yes. One of the absolutely. things I was attracted to about IFS also was how do I break through these, these well-functioning defenses? Because they're well-functioning in a manager. And so <clears throat> uh, I think that those are such great questions. But I think... Um, What I like about working with managers in IFS is that the nuances is helping someone separate from analytical thinking, from criticizing, from judging, from perfectionism. When people can get on blend from those things that really run their life uh, as they can to any of us, to get that kind of on blend is huge. And it's, it's very, very and it's very subtle though. It's more subtle mm -hmm. because the, there's, being perfectionistic is very close to being good at what you do. So how is that a problem? So helping people unblend, identify and unblend from that, but it's such a huge relief for them and it gives them so much more freedom. Absolutely. Um, and, and of course it covers up parts of them that feel not good enough and those little exiles. And for, for, for uh, people that are firefighter run, there's a lot of chaos and unpredictability in their life. And, um, Well, it's sort of holding on to your seat and um, really staying centered and focused. And, um, uh, and deep down, they have a lot of shame. So really working with our parts so that they can begin by not judging themselves for how bad it's gotten, because it's gotten bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to start with their own managers that judge them is uh, actually doesn't seem like the right place to start, but it usually is. They're usually under severe self-judgment. And it's not easy for many psychotherapists to see those managers acting in the system. That's right. And that's what I like to teach when I'm teaching addictions. Because the firefighters are so florid. They're yes. so, so evident mm -hmm. that we get distracted by the mm -hmm. drinking, the cutting, the starving. You know, what can we do about that? And <clears throat> really... Uh, that is that is a system, and those drinking cutting parts are trying to soothe the exiles and soothe the kind of horribly intense contemptuous managers. So uh, the ability to work with the whole system and help someone with addictions know I'm not my addiction. 
and I'm not my trauma. Yes. I am not either of those things. That's just huge. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Uh, since you have achieved so much as a psychotherapist, as a trainer and supervisor, is there something else you'd like to do or achieve besides keeping, keep doing what you are doing so well? Mm, thank you. Well, some of these questions uh, that you're asking, uh, in particular, the personal, more personal journey questions that you're asking, Tisha, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> that I think I also have... Uh, uh, a separate love for uh, that I'm starting to spend a little bit more of my clinical my time with, which is making space for therapists to tell our own story, and um, you know, uh, is that's just of an interest of mine that I will I'm continuing to do these other to teach IFS and to teach and talk about addictive processes, but there's that's a separate love for mine. I don't know what's going to happen for it, but. I have learned in my own life. I have done, my own journey is, uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say it. I think we all have a journey that's interesting. I sit in trainings and therapists are working on their own parts in the training. And therapists have powerful, powerful stories. So of their own, of our own. So I'm interested in those stories too. It's very welcome that, that work. Go, go teacher. Well, I, I imagine that anyone listening to this uh, to this audio podcast would be interested in finding out more about that work that you do. Is there a, a link that we could post to your website, or are there are there um, retreats that you have coming up if if people wanted to find out more about how to how to participate in that? Practice? I do have a website, and I do right now offer a retreat. Uh, Every every summer, every June, uh, around that, and I may offer more. You know, I'm busy. <laughs> really busy. What are the topics? Is that mainly? Um, well, then I do. You know, continuing to do stuff around addictive processes, mm-hmm. um, and I let and I do workshops around that. Not uh, Mary Kruger also at CSL is doing a lot of level two training around teaching addiction, and she and I uh, co-led together at the conference. And she's very, very, very seasoned um, and using IFS for those processes. So I've, I want to just name that she's a, a, an excellent trainer in this area. And she um, and uh, so she's been continuing to train these level twos, and I will do some of them as well. And then sometimes I just do a workshop. It's a little bit more experiential for a couple of days around addictive processes. And I've been doing that a long time, like 10 years or so doing sort of experiential two-day workshops or three-day workshops around working with addiction. Not a training. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's helpful, and it, you learn, but it's a little different. So the personal life <laughs> of psychotherapist becomes a huge interest and pleasure for you mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, recently, like 20 years ago. <laughs> Let's keep it recently. <laughs> Let's keep it recently. Yes. Well, we can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> we have edited. This is so, so good to be with you. We could uh, make this conversation last for hours, but I hope we can get back to you as soon as possible. And um, we have to thank you so much for having us and the time you spent with us. I don't know if you want to say something, Tisha. Yeah, just a big thank you. It, it feels like a, a joy to be in your presence and to hear about your experience and your journey and where you're going. And uh, sign me up for, for June, <laughs> please. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, it's it's a it is a it's a joy and opportunity. You know, every time just thinking about you know. The opportunity to talk is always fun, but also to reflect. So thanks for such lovely questions because it invites me to reflect. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you, sis. Nice opportunity. Too. It was fun again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, listen, you guys have a good weekend, everybody. You too. Enjoy the, the warm Chicago weather. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about the umbrella you need. <laughs> yeah. 
This was an IFS Talks episode, an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users.